Welcome to Goodwin Law Unplugged, Florida real estate and more. This podcast features candid insight from real estate industry professionals from all sectors. Your host, attorney Matthew Goodwin, a native Floridian and experienced real estate attorney, will provide his personal insight on legal matters and feature other professionals offering their candid advice. Whether you're a first-time home buyer, seasoned investor, or experienced real estate agent, there is something for everyone. Thanks for joining us on Goodwin Law Unplugged. Welcome back. This is Charlie McDermott, the producer of the Goodwin Law Unplugged podcast. I'm back again with Matt Goodwin. Matt, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. How you doing this morning, Charlie? I'm doing great. And uh, man, happy you could carve out time again. I know how crazy things are. But this is really important, uh, this topic here, because, yeah, I've I've been involved in residential transactions with real estate, commercial, um, and I've, I've seen a lot. I certainly haven't seen it all like you have, but I know I always leaned on a real estate attorney in my past transactions. And thank God, because there's a lot that can happen. And, and, and my goodness, the, the late, just for our listeners who are jumping on this one, your last episode about uh, fraud in the transaction uh, world is something if if your listeners haven't listened to that, they need to go back and listen to that. But that that's just one of the reasons uh, uh, to get someone like yourself involved in the real estate transaction. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Matt, once again, because after all, you are the expert in this topic. <laughs> so let's uh, let's get into it. Thanks, Charlie. That's a really good point you make about where attorney can help out my, as far as my last topic. Um, a lot of the realtors are keen to some kinds of fraud, but not all. And some of the fraud I talked about on my last podcast, we had experienced for the first time and, and, and hadn't expected it where people were just impersonating sellers. And when a title agent or a real estate attorney gets a contract, it's executed by all the parties. You don't expect one of them to be not who they say they are by the time it comes to you. What we're keen on is making sure we don't have funds misdirected to a criminal with business emails being compromised and other scams, phishing emails and such. Today, I'm going to talk about why a seller should consult with a lawyer before listing their property. But a lot of the information will be just as helpful for someone that is buying a property. And depending on what part of the state you're in, um, regardless of what part of the state you're in, you should involve the attorney before you engage the realtor. Now, I want to talk today about ways to avoid breach, knowing uh, when to default the buyer and also some of your rights and duties. Uh, I may go back and forth from buyers and sellers, so try to stay with me. And I'm always open to inquiries after uh, if you'd like to contact us on social media or for further elaboration, or if you have a specific closing that you'd like assistance with, we can help with that too. I'd also like to distinguish where realtors can help because there's realtors that listen to this podcast and this is not intended to discredit. And actually the realtors uh, can probably appreciate a lot of this, but realtors help you negotiate and complete terms on contracts. They help you with staging your home marketing your home, showing and managing inquiries and offers, which is some of the most daunting tasks, depending on how attractive your home is, and also getting top dollar for your property, which all that leads toward. And in my opinion, working with an experienced realtor, it's often worth more than the commissions paid. And some people may argue against that, but 
I can tell you, it's not just a convenience factor. You're actually going to get more money working with a realtor. A lot of times when you don't, we work with a lot of for sale by owners that they cut out, they cut down the price by what they would otherwise pay a realtor, making it more attractive. But then they realize after the fact, oh man, I got to do all this myself or I have to pay a real estate attorney to do it. Now, real estate attorneys don't often charge a percentage, but every realtor charge is a little different and it's all negotiable. Um, so jumping into what a real estate attorney can do, a real estate attorney can ratify or endorse the terms of your contract to ensure that they'll hold up if there's ever a dispute over a breach of contract. We can help you make proper disclosures. Realtors can help you make proper disclosures too. You're supposed to disclose unknown uh, facts that will materially affect the value of the property. And there's often a paper or a questionnaire presented to a seller that asks them to list all of the, it's a ton of questions and answers. And it's, it's usually a, a yes, a no, or a don't know to a question such as, have you ever had an insurance claim on your property? Have you done any unpermitted improvements? Uh, does this work? Does that work? So systems and equipment, do, do they work? And then there's place for additional disclosures to be made. That's actually really helpful, not just to buyers, but to sellers. It's helpful to sellers so they don't get in trouble for not disclosing something. Mm. And if their disclosure is, I don't know, well, that's the best it gets. Now, what you don't want to do if presented with one of these is fill it out wrong. Make sure you take time to fill that particular seller's disclosure out accurately. I have seen, uh, don't think that they can't find an insurance claim, even though it was withdrawn. I have seen recently where a seller's disclosure said there has been no claims. And by and behold, there happened to have been a claim not that, not that long ago for this particular person. So just be careful uh, when you're filling out those things, because what you say does in fact matter on those and you, you can't take it lightheartedly and that's for all sellers correct yes all sellers and, and how now, about the as is uh, how does that play into all this good question because that's one of the things i wanted to talk about now it so your your disclosure of material facts or condition of the property is not so it's re, it's required if it's unknown to everyone else or be known unbeknownst to the naked eye, but you know about it, let's say you had a flood under your floor and you covered up with new wood and you know, there's mold there, or you have a wall that had Chinese drywall. You cut out the Chinese drywall and you put it back. It's possible that there's more of that in there or uh, any number of things. You had a fire and it was covered up. You had a leak in your ceiling and you painted over it. Those are disclosed, those are concealing facts that only you know that could material affect the not just the value of the property, but the buyer's decision to buy. So when you sell your property as is, you still have to make disclosures. Now, with a commercial property, it's different. With a commercial property, it's buyer beware. Interesting. Yes. So Make sure if you're buying commercial property, you order every inspection under the sun and do it in your due diligence period. That's one of the reasons I think you'll see much longer due diligence periods in a construction or a commercial building purchase or acquisition. 
because uh, they often do take a lot more time, depending on the magnitude of the project or whatever it is you're working on. Could be uh, 60 days is often a minimum. 90 and 120 days is not uncommon for commercial deals. So just distinguishing that from residential property, assuming the majority of people listening to this deal with residential property, uh, just know that if you're selling a piece of residential property, then you must disclose unknown uh, material facts and you can still sell your property as is, but just make sure you disclose something that, that you can't otherwise determine. With an as is contract, the buyer has the right to unilaterally terminate for mm. um, any reason they want, really. They can take a look at it and say, you know, I don't like the way that tree looks, or they don't even have to explain it. They just say it's it's not what well, we're not we're not interested in moving forward. The standard contracts, which I, I don't want to spend too much time on this because uh, this is a two hour podcast in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, just know that there's a difference between the standard and your rights and duty and obligations as a buyer and a seller are different. And make sure you consult with a real estate attorney or an experienced realtor at the very least that can really break down the differences for you in a way that you understand. Now, one of the things I want to talk about is uh, some some things that have come to light. I, I, I have a video frequently asked question on my website that talks about using why you should use a real estate attorney um, for when you purchase and sell real estate. So there is a little overlap, but that was several years ago. And some of these come from newer things that I've encountered. One yeah. thing is dealing with someone that's deceased on title. We have a lot of people in Southwest Florida that purchase property with either their spouses, children, and even siblings or friends. And then one of the parties dies. 10 years later, the person dies or 10 years later, they decide to sell it after the person dies. We have a, 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 a transaction right now where the death occurred in 1998. Wow. Point tenant. And it was, um, well, I don't want to give too many specific details, but they were related. The sellers were related and the surviving seller, surviving title holder thought that because she was on title that she could sell it when she was ready and come to find out a probate's going to be required because the way they held title. So just because someone is on title, doesn't mean probate or more is not going to be required. And you can find those things out with a short conversation. Uh, sometimes you don't find it out if uh, in, until the title search is complete and more questions are asked and documents are examined. But in this particular case, there, there was two ways that they could have took title and that's with joint tenants or joint tenants with rights of survivorship. Now, the real estate attorney will tell you how to take title as a buyer, but they'll also find out who needs to sign that sales contract for you to have a binding contract when you're selling your property and joint tenants. If it does not, if your title says joint tenants, but it does not include the words with rights of survivorship, it reverts to a tenancy in common. And when someone owns property, let's say 50, 50 as a tenant in common or a joint tenant without the right of survivorship, there is a 50% interest on that deceased person's half that must go through probate. And you can avoid that by having the property transferred to a trust or owned in trust, successor trustee can sign, 
And so there's ways to avoid that. But this particular person, it's my guess that they intended on taking it as joint tenants with rights of survivorship, but those key words were not included. So it reverted back and that she didn't find out till almost 25 years later when she was ready to sell it. So wow. it puts the brakes on the transaction. Uh, some In this case, um, probate might be a two week process because of the familial makeup of the, of the, the decedent, the person who died on title. And you won't, you won't be able to predict that though. You talk to a real estate attorney, if they, if they understand probate, they could get the information, ask you the questions that will determine that before you either go under contract or soon enough so you, you can still close on a contract. But that's why it's important to contact the attorney before you, you, you list your property or before you start accepting offers so you don't miss something. I can't tell you how many times we get inquiries after contracts are signed and we tell the persons that there's nothing they can do other than hope that um, things go their way. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's never a good thing. <laughs> just hope it goes your way. Now, wow. So, I, and, and this may be a little off topic and maybe this is a, a completely different episode, but uh, question I, I had when you were explaining that situation, you know, let's say 20 years ago, one of the owners, uh, passes away and nothing's changed, does that impact the homestead, you know, uh, tax law? Um, you know, or, or would, would that person be due, you know, would those taxes be due for those 20 years or five years or whatnot? Or is that, is that not really, is that not an issue? I can't directly answer your question without more information. And yeah. there's so many nuances with homestead law that I might actually save that for my next podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, there's probably five or six different scenarios I can yeah. give you and five or six different outcomes that I could give you. So, yeah. um, but that's a great question. Uh, generally speaking, you can have a 50% homestead interest in a property and the other title holder has a 0% interest because they claim homestead on another property. So just because they're on title with you does not mean you're restricted or they're restricted from claiming homestead on another property. Wow. So another reason to have an attorney involved. Exactly. Exactly. So another issue that we commonly encounter is open permits or unpermitted improvements that are made to a property. Now, if you inherit a property, you might not be aware of any unpermitted improvements. You don't have to go fish those things out. You just let them know that you don't know of any. Now, mm. when it comes to open permits that were either, they're in an unfinaled status and they were open after you took title or before you took title, they're most likely going to be raised as an objection from the person who is buying your home. Not always, but if you don't handle that before you go under contract, then you're going to have to handle it after you're under contract. And most of the time after you go under contract, you got a ton of other things you're doing, especially if you're living in that property, you don't want to have to deal with this. Yeah. Realtors can help you. Real estate attorneys can help you. But uh, once you get under contract, there's a lot more time constraints. So you're not really working uh, at your leisure. So you want to find this information out ahead of time. Very good. Okay. Personal property 
when to exclude it, when to include it. What are the um, default items of personal property? The contracts that we use, there's two primary forms. One is the one endorsed by Florida Realtors, Florida Bar, and that's referred to as the FAR Bar contract. The other one is the NABOR, which is the acronym for Naples Area Board of Realtors, which is used uh, almost exclusively in Collier County, but some in Lee County as well. <laughs> Collier County is pretty big too. Um, don't, don't forget that Marco Island is part of Collier County. So, and, and, and you go into Bonita Springs, it's half in Collier County, half in Lee County. So you have to know what the custom is, but also know what's default. Uh, one of the contracts includes in the default terms, washer and dryer. One of them does not, which means if it's going to be excluded, it must be excluded on the contract. Right, if it's right. going to be included and you're dealing with it, one where it's not in the default terms, it must be included. Now this goes up, this goes, uh, this is important for when you're writing an offer to purchase property uh, and, and also when you're selling, because if, and another big one is TV fixtures. Even though it's screwed to the wall, it's uh, considered on one of the newest revisions on the NABOR contract that it is not to be moved. So that's something must be excluded if you're going to take your your uh, TV mm. rack or mount off. And in some cases, even the televisions will stay. So just be sure you're very specific when it comes to personal property, what's included, what's excluded. Most realtors are keen to that. But I see stuff missed all the time when there's realtors involved. So if you're armed with the information before you engage a realtor, you're going to be much better off to ask educated questions and not have to perhaps ask questions that you already know the answer to. The last thing you want to do is learn the hard way. Now, yeah. I've seen realtors purchase TVs, washers and dryers uh, and refrigerators, extra refrigerators usually, um, because it was there on the initial offer. It was included by one reason or another or not excluded and the mm. seller took it with them. So closing day, they're headed to Best Buy with some of their commissions. Uh, Realtors work hard for their commissions. Let me tell you, you know, you, you can go a year without making money. As yeah, a yeah. Especially in a down market, you can go. It's not uncommon to go one to three months without making money, generally speaking, because of the time frames. Next thing I'm going to talk about is effective date of the contract. You want to make sure you get this right. This is something we see messed up all the time when contracts are, when offers are made and then sellers make up, make changes before sending it back. And then the buyer agrees to one or not all of the changes. And then you see all these initials and scribbling <laughs> and line through. And, you know, um, you don't know where to find whose initial uh, anymore. A lot of times you see it on the first page or on the last page where there's other terms. And if you can understand what the effective date is, you'll know that it's very important because it dictates all your other timelines with the exception of the closing date. However, if your closing date says on your contract 30 days after the effective date, which we've seen before, then you that's even more important. But don't do that. Don't put in timelines so important as the closing date that are tied to your effective date. Put a specific date. 
you can have inspections tied to other things. Mm -hmm. And there may be a circumstance where it's appropriate, but it's not going to be for the majority of persons selling their homes because time does matter. Yeah. And, and closing date does matter usually for both sides. The effective date is the date when the contract is ratified by both parties, meaning they've come to a meeting of the minds of every single term that's agreed to and it's dated and it's the last date that's placed there. So if you make an offer on June 1st and the seller signs on June 2nd and makes no other changes, June 2nd is the effective date. Okay. If June 2nd, the seller sends it back to the buyer and on June 3rd, the buyer writes in, uh, agrees to that change. Then the seller has to ratify something because the buyer added one little word. Well, then mm -hmm. the date that the seller ratified that change is the effective date. So it can get really tricky. The more changes you make, the less known, the less uh, understood it is. And what we do when we get a contract where it's unclear, and there's especially when there's an attorney on the other side, we'll make it known at the beginning, particularly in a commercial transaction, as a best practice, say, it's our understanding and we're operating under the mise that um, the effective date is X. And if you can get that agreed to in writing, then you don't have to worry about it. Some of the contracts will have a place for the effective date. Some of the contracts will have a place for you to write counter offers and dates. But um, if you're making changes and you're signing, make sure you put a date next to it. If it's not evident from, from other means, such as a, um, a confirmation by email, say, hey, I just signed it. And then the date that you just wrote that email is evident. Um, hmm. Inspections. Real, real estate attorneys try to stay out of the inspection uh, portion of the transaction because they don't really know the property as well as the parties and the agents, if there are any. And mm -hmm. you will spend more money consulting with a real estate attorney on inspection issues and you won't spend extra money if you deal exclusively with your real estate agent where the attorney can come in is when the buyer makes a request that they're not permitted to make but insist that they're permitted to make it and then when the seller responds as they should the buyer says they'd like to terminate because the seller did not agree to their requested inspection request and this is very problematic when you're dealing with an as-is contract actually it doesn't even matter you're dealing with a standard contract and, and it actually may be more tricky when you're dealing with a standard contract because there's certain items that are defective per the contract and the seller must address them or the buyer can terminate with their deposit being returned mm -hmm. so you want to know how that works when you go under contract and if you consult with a real estate attorney beforehand then uh you ask those questions or or, or that's discussed i mean this this conversation uh, can take 30 minutes. If you have lots of questions, it could take an hour. That mm. hour is going to be one of your best yeah. dollars spent costing more than $1, but it's going to be the best, some of the best money spent uh, before you sell your property and could save yeah. a lot of headaches and it could even save your deal, uh, your future deal. Good point. Good point. Wow, Matt, this has been uh, really helpful. And uh, you know, it, it, it just, brought back memories of some of the things that, that I've gone through in real estate transactions. And uh, yeah, a few of them were, thank God I had an attorney and a few of them were like, uh, you know, geez, 
Well, there's one or two more things I want to address. Oh. One is dealing with a financing contingency. Nobody wants to wait for their buyer to get a loan or hear 30 days after they're under contract that they didn't get the loan that they needed. So right. if there's a financing contingency, the seller needs to understand how that works just as much as the buyer. It depends on the form of contract you have, but if you don't waive that financing contingency per the terms of the contract, the seller, or if the, if the financing contingency is not waived timely, the seller in some cases may be able to terminate. Now they'll give you your deposit back, but the buyer may be willing to risk their deposit and move toward closing. But at this time, the seller has already taken the deal away from them because they failed to waive their contingency. There are certain form contracts that have that language in there. So be very careful. Now, the other, the last thing is the final walkthrough. This is where you have a lot of issues that come up and what are the questions uh, and what the terms of the contract provides is, is it must be in broom clean condition in the condition it was on the effective date, which means all the systems that worked when you went under contract should work and uh, make sure you don't have a bunch of personal property left because once it's there, um, it becomes the property of the seller. And you know, a lot of times the parties will negotiate personal property and you know, say, hey, I left these few things. Do you need me to get them or just keep them? So that's often handled that way. But broom clean means broom clean. You can sweep the floor and you don't need a dustpan because it's already picked up. So just understand some of these things. And the list goes on. But it's some of the biggest things I've already covered, where if you consult with a real estate attorney before you list your property or make an offer, then you're going to be better off. Yeah. Well, Matt, you know, it, it, I understand why your, your phone is going off there and messages and everything else. I mean, you are in demand and rightly so. So once again, as we started this, I appreciate you sharing this information, spending a few minutes uh, on your show and uh, look forward to the next episode. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Goodwin Law Unplugged. To learn more about Goodwin Law and to utilize our services, visit GoodwinEstateLaw.com or call 239-207-3403. Hablamos Espanol. To submit questions or be a guest on a future episode, message us on our website or on social media by searching for Goodwin Law PA in Naples, Florida. This has been Goodwin Law Unplugged. Thanks again for joining us.